Hey everybody and welcome back to Move Out Draw Fire. This will be the fifth iteration or episode of the saga. So, I've been in contact with the local radio stations trying to get the channel promoted. I'm doing the best I can right now to kind of get more listeners. Not so much that I became become uh, popular and famous, but more of like get the message out. You know, people are here to kind of help people through other situations. I'm doing what I can to reach out to other people to let them know that, you know, I've gone through situations that have been pretty tough for me. I know other people out there have been gone through situations that are pretty tough for them. And we're all in it together. We're not alone. Uh, we There's always an open uh, channel for communication between myself or somebody you might know that may need help, might need to have somebody talk to them, what have you. So if you are watching this or listen, sorry, listening to this on a station that, you know, you could uh, subscribe, uh, submit a comment, a review, give us some stars, whatever you can. Try to get it out there, let people know that they're not the only ones going through some tough times. So, uh, we're going to move on to uh, my second tour in Afghanistan. Between my uh, between the first Afghanistan and the second one, I had gotten married, and we had moved into an apartment off post off of uh, Cliffdale Road. It was outside Fort Bragg, North Carolina. It was probably four hundred square feet apartment, like six hundred bucks a month, something like that. It was a nice starter apartment for a brand new marriage. I mean, it was it had a bathroom, it had a bedroom, it had a living room, it had a kitchen. Done. That's all we needed. It even had a deck. It wasn't very big, but it had a deck. So we go to JRTC, we train um, for the desert inside of a swamp. Doesn't make really any sense at all. But it was for more of a training aspect, not the environment aspect of it. It goes well, um, as well as can be anyway. So I'm still part of the Special Troops Battalion at this point. Um, I am tasked out to the engineers again. But our mission for this deployment is far greater of a difference than the last deployment. So this deployment... We are part of a route clearance package. Now, route clearance is you go out there, you drive roughly five miles an hour for hours on end, only kidding, not very far. Or you go out to a certain area that they've known to plant IEDs in the road, uh, improvised explosive devices in the road. You go out there with your... Um, trucks that have like the ground penetrating radars and the x-rays and all the gizmos doodads and whatever you have 
to go out, clear it so whatever um, or whoever owns the area can have, you know, a freedom of maneuver through that area. So, um, actually, let me let me back up a bit. Um, before we deployed, I actually went to JFO school, the Joint Fires Observer Course, at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. So, it was 2008. I hadn't been there since 2003. It's been five years. And from what I estimated, um, in the five years, the crime rate of Lawton, Oklahoma, which is where Fort Sill is, had gone up like 300%. It was bananas. Now, I never really got a feel for the area because we were never allowed off post the first time or uh, on my first time through. But on the second time, um, it was we went down there. It was my wife, myself, um, Randolph, and his wife all went down to JFO school. Uh, I think I don't I don't remember failing any missions they give you five missions to graduate uh, I don't remember failing any I might have I don't think so though um, by that time I already had two deployments and I felt pretty pretty confident in my abilities and uh, Randolph I think maybe he only failed one mission I mean you could fail two and be good I think he only failed one Anyway, we went down to uh, Six Flags over Texas. We had some fun down there. There was a tornado down there uh, while we were at Fort Sill. Good times, great oldies. So, we deployed to Afghanistan. Um, Jesse and myself are with the team that was, was going to Farah, Afghanistan. And Randolph... And his team were going up north, and I cannot remember the name of where they went. I think it was Shindand, maybe a little further north. Anyway, um, so Jesse and myself and a few others, Half Pint, um, there was a couple others there. So we're under the um, under the leadership of Lieutenant Harold. Now, Lieutenant Harold had, for me personally, I had no problems with the guy. He was a little high strung. He was a West Pointer, you know, what have you. It feels like he should have been not doing RCP. He probably should have been doing something a little bit more, um, I don't know, something else. Let's just say that. So I know a lot of people in the platoon had a huge problem with him because because of his attitude of the um, kind of the West Point attitude, which was... I went to a military academy, the best army military academy. I'm better than everybody else. I lift my nose to you. I shun you, sir. So I never had a problem with that. A few other West Pointers in the future I did, but not so much with him. So him with the platoon sergeant, Sergeant Tamua, we all drove down from Kandahar. We did spend about, again, another two, three weeks in Kandahar getting all of our uh, trucks, all of our equipment, everything we needed. And we started the trek from Kandahar to Farah. We're going to kind of the middle of Afghanistan, a little bit more of the south. And we're driving far, I mean, as far southwest as you could go. I'm not not very far probably from uh, 
I don't know, Iran? Who knows? Anyway, so we're driving. Uh, it takes about three, four days. And um, that's where the company headquarters would be located as well, was down in Farah. So we had uh, First Sergeant Carabello. We had uh, Captain Martin there at the time as well. And, you know, no IEDs on the way, I don't think. I mean, one one of the trucks, uh, they had a trailer, and it kind of was just like burst into flames because the brakes had been on the entire time, and they just kept driving and driving. And eventually the truck caught fire, or the trailer caught fire. But other than that, the trip was rather uneventful. Now, we get to Farah, and we're taking over for whoever's there. And the landowner, as I believe it was, um, a cavalry, cavalry unit. I can't remember what unit it was. But they're doing their uh, pseudo-infantry missions out there. So, we get set up, and we start doing these RCP missions. Now, I would always be in the truck with the lieutenant, because if we had gotten into a contact situation... I would have to, one, kind of clear the air or get some air assets out there if the artillery was not within range because we didn't carry our own mortar systems with the engineers. So if something had happened and I needed, you know, I have a target, I would need the lieutenant as close as possible to kind of clear my, um, my fires. If something happened, I had, you know, I got target, I got positive ID, can I blow this up? I cannot do anything until the lieutenant says, I'm putting my name on this as I approve it. If anything bad happens, it comes back on him. I had no problem with that. So it was my driver, uh, the TC was Lieutenant Harold. The driver, his name was McCann, and our gunner was Sims. Now, every now and then, we'd have somebody else in the truck with us, sometimes Jesse, sometimes somebody else, but overall, oh, and we also had our interpreter, Rossman. Now, Rossman, he, uh, he was not very good. He did, he, he did enough to get by, but, God, he was, he was kind of a terrible individual. Not like an evil guy, but just, man. A sack of rocks. Just dumb. Anyway. So, we also had another, um, at this base in Fra. we had another unit. It was the MARSOC unit. It was like a Marines Special Forces equivalent or just lesser. I don't know. We never really had any uh, dealings with them. So, for the most part, not a big deal. Uh... There were a few missions we went out on. Um, I would say between, uh, in my truck, between Sims, McCann, Harold, and the interpreter, we had, I mean, we had a fairly good time. Uh, now, one thing you have to know about Sims is those who are listening that don't know him, he had a bad stutter to the point where it, it would just randomly happen. And there's no, like, trigger for what word he would get stuck on but he would get stuck on a word. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, 
So we're driving along in this uh, RG31, and Sims is up in the gunner's um, turret, and he's trying to say something. And now we never found out what because he started stuttering. And just so you know, you can't hear each other through the truck, so you have these headsets. The driver, the TC, the gunner, and one passenger in the back will have a headset. Well, I always had the headset. I also had a... Um, computer in front of me that had kind of like the grids and everything that I was at a a digital map really so Sims (laughs) so he's trying to ask he goes hey Sergeant Cairns and through a headset with his I I imagined I closed my eyes and it felt like I was in a sci-fi movie where there was a an alien spaceship, a flying saucer hovering overhead. The whoa, 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 whoa. And I thought that was funny enough. And then McCann, he turns around as much as he can. He goes, Sergeant Cairns, hit him. He's skipping. And then it stopped. I didn't hit him. He just says, he hit him. He's skipping. And then he stops. I'm like, oh, I think he turned off his headset, I think. I think you upset him. And then McCann, he says, hey, Sims, you good, buddy? F you. And that was it. That was, that was his entire conversation for the rest of the, for the rest of the trip was utter silence with how upset he got at McCann. It was a magical moment because I think we both laughed for probably 20 minutes, even while driving. So... So, RCP. We're on RCP, route clearance. Uh, RCP is route clearance package. We're on the route clearance looking for bombs in the road. Now, when it came to our platoon in the south, we had a 50-50 rate of finding IEDs, the bombs. By, say, 50-50, meaning we found as many with the equipment that we had as much as we hit uh, I or explosives. So we'd find them before they explode or they explode under the trucks. Now, for the most part, these trucks are built to take a blast. They had the V-shaped hull. They had, um, we had Huskies at the time, which were one person kind of tractors with these panels on the front and um, metal detectors on the bottom. And up until that point, they said they had told us that no, no casualties, no deaths have been in one of these trucks throughout all the bombs that they had hit. So it was never, if you got hit, there was a super good chance that you were going to survive it because it was literally built to take however big of bombs that they could find. Now, the Husky itself, I think, um, I think it was Ilsley that was in one of the Huskies, it got hit. We are going down. It was, it was kind of our fault. We were setting a pattern the way we were doing it. But he hit an IED. And I, I can remember seeing it because we also had a giant ball camera on our truck that I could control in the back. Well, I'm seeing him. He gets hit. He, he gets rocked pretty high up into the air. Mid-air, he calls over the radio, 
I'm good. Like, holy crap. He had enough sense to mid-air, I mean, everything happened so fast, to call, I'm good. And then we see the thing hit and kind of roll a little bit. And then you can hear him again, I'm still good, over the radio. Like, holy crap. He had he had the the kind of mindset to let everybody know, like, hey, I just hit a bomb, I'm good. And then after he hit, it's like, I uh, wonder how he is now. Well, he let us know, and he did. Now, there have been a couple bombs that we've hit that, one, it, um, it blew up. Let's see, it blew up under the truck, probably midway under, because this truck that we, we got hit, an RG31, had mine rollers on the front. Now, these things stuck out like 10 feet, so the overall from mine roller to the end of the truck was now like 30 feet. So it hit right in the middle because they anticipated the mine rollers because they were catching on to what we're doing. The truck got launched up and turned over midair and landed on its side. And everybody survived that. Nobody nobody died. But the um, the driver, I think the way he landed, he might have fractured his shin or something, might have fractured a bone. I'm not really sure. I can't remember. It wasn't my truck. I think it was a, a truck just ahead of us. So the truck lands. No, wait a minute. It lands on the TC side, I believe. So the truck lands, um, and the gunner immediately gets out. Now, one of the things is, is kind of, if you get hit by an, a roadside bomb or whatever, you kind of have to sweep for secondaries because you get hit once, there's probably another one. So the gunner gets out, Trowbridge, that's his name. He gets out, not realizing that all the brass, ammo, and dunnage from the gunner's seat had kind of sh- not sh- not exploded, but was rocked all over the area. He gets out with his metal detector, still dazed and confused, and is just hitting every bullet that he's going across, and he doesn't know if there's a secondary because he's still sh- like in shock. Can't really see. The dust is still up. But he was Johnny on the spot with this metal detector searching for secondaries even before the dust completely settled to the point where somebody had to grab him. Like, listen, you're not in your right mind. Go to another truck. Get checked out by a medic. You know, we have to secure the area. So eventually we do. And it turns out that there was a secondary um, explosive set up but did not go off. They found it. Now, at that strike is kind of the funny story of... (laughs) So, I'll tell you this. It was not my intention to scare people, but it happened. So, this truck gets hit. It's on its side. This is an area known for follow-on ambush. So they hit us, they ambush us, because everybody's disoriented. Well, the, the follow-on, it turned out, never happened, because I feel that I kind of 
diverted the ambush, which was we had an F-18 on station. I call up to higher headquarters. I'm like, listen, we got hit. I need something in the air now. Well, turns out there was an F-18 in the air, a, a pair of them. They always travel in pairs. So I get on, I get on the radio with him. He's telling me, listen, we got about 10 minutes because we're almost out of fuel. What do you want? I said, hey, just look around. Do you see anybody within the area? You know, I got, I got them talked on to us first. I asked them to scout the area real quick. And, you know, they've got these new whiz-bang cameras that can read a name tape on somebody from 20,000 feet up. It's craziness. So he's looking around and sees people milling about, but it could have just been from the excitement of the bomb that, you know, locals wanted to go check it out. But I said, okay, you guys are almost out of fuel after their um, recon was done. I asked them to do a what's called a show force. So a show force for an airplane would be to drop real low, real low, and fly over our position to let surrounding people know, whether they're enemy or not, that we have planes with very big bombs right overhead now most people don't know that once i had them do a show of force the planes had to take off because it out of fuel well i asked him to do a show of force over our position now what i did not realize at the time was i'm only talking on my fires net there's also a company and a platoon net uh, a radio station basically and i did not tell them that this was going to happen so, that being said, some people have dismounted, already clearing for secondaries. Our driver, which was not McCann at the time, it was somebody else, he had gotten out of the truck because they felt they had we had a secure enough area that he had to use the restroom, which was the side of a tire. There's no, you know, porta potties out in the middle of nowhere. So he's outside relieving of himself and these F-18s fly overhead probably a hundred feet or less over our heads and you kind of they're going fast enough to where you don't hear them coming until they are right on top of you and with them I want to say they had it was a sound barrier breaking because out of nowhere, it was just a loud bang followed followed by a thunderous roar. Just it's if if you have no concept of what I'm talking about, just YouTube jet breaking sound barrier and imagine that it's I don't know two three hundred decibels. It sounds like a rocket ship uh, taking off. So the driver is out there. Junk in hand, peeing on a tire. Loud bang. Because, again, he doesn't know what's coming. He assumes that it's another IED going off, another bomb. And he tells me that he crunched his shoulders together, head down, and prayed to God out loud, not like this. And I, after I heard that, 
I wanted to get t-shirts made that just said, not like this. It was one of the funniest things ever. People came up to my truck afterwards threatening very much uh, physical violence for not letting them know that was going to happen. Later on, the lieutenant got in the truck and said, I appreciate what you did, but if you do that again, I will personally hurt you in ways that will be very uncomfortable to everybody around. Kind of a weird, um, weird threat now that I think about it. So, a few other things happened during that deployment. Um, again, we had a 50-50 rate of either finding or hitting a bomb. Um, at the time, uh, there was a few, there was a couple months there where, uh, my wife had sent me some, um, kind of, uh, supplements for working out. And because I, I said, I want to, while I'm here, we have a pretty nice gym. I kind of want to lose weight and get a little bit more buff. So she sends me something from GNC, which was called Oxy Elite Pro. And after I'd taken it, I, the amount of energy that I had, um, was, was dumbfounding to me. I lost probably 40 pounds in two months just from going to the gym, doing some cardio and stuff like that. And come to find out that GNC then had to kind of discontinue that supplement. And so did the army. The army kind of banned it because it turns out people that were taking were testing positive for cocaine. So there's a very good chance that what I was taking was not, well, one, it was never FDA approved. And two, it was probably drugs. So... I worked out. I got slim. Um, we did missions. We did a lot of RCP missions. We never really got into uh, necessarily any firefights. Um, we did help out uh, the locals there with some uh, projects and cleared the roads for them. And let's see. I would say on our, now this was a year long mission. We, we deployed for one year, came back, nothing crazy, not a 15 month tour. So one year and I had four times, I, I called it my like quarterly thing, which was I slept in the missions. They, they said the missions were at like six in the morning uh, somebody would usually come into my room at six ten and be like, yo, we're leaving and they never left without me, but it was kind of like every, every three months, um, had been so worn out from the mission before or the night before, whatever it was. And my three other roommates in the room never bothered to wake me up to get ready while they were getting ready. I just slept right through it. So that kind of left I kind of left a sour taste in their mouth for kind of a job performance wise, but overall, whenever we needed something as far as air cover or uh, indirect cover, I was there. There was never any problem. Like, you know, you slept through four missions, you don't do it again. All right, whatever. I'll tell you another, another thing that a couple things actually happened there. I did my E6 promotion board there. It was my second attempt. Um, past the second attempt, it was 
Um, I can't remember where it was at. You know, it all went good. I think there was only two questions I couldn't answer at the time. There was a time where our truck, uh, the AC went out in our truck in the hottest part of the year. It was 120 degrees outside. Um, I think we got up to 180 in our truck because you're just rolling around in a steel death machine covered covered all over with just armor and metal. So it was kind of the point where we would be rolling along and when I start to see the bottles of water starting to boil inside of our trucks, like, hey, we got to stop, get out. And we'd get out in this 100 degree weather like, oh, it feels so nice. Felt like we're, you know, walking off the beach into an AC cooled room. That's how bad it was. Uh, we did lose, I will say, I think just one, uh, just one soldier while we were there. His name was, uh, Billy Jean Anderson. He had stepped on a pressure plate mine and he was fairly new. He came to us, uh, straight out of airborne, um, spent a couple, a month or two at the unit before they shipped him over to us because we still had enough time there. We sent him up north to the platoon up north and something had happened and they were doing a floor or ground clearance where they would get out and look for mines and unfortunately he stepped on one. Um, also, I went on mid-tour leave. Um, at that time we moved into another, we didn't, we moved out of the apartment into a renting uh, and started renting a house which was closer to base, and it was a real nice house. The guy who rented it to us, real nice old guy. All the neighbors were kind and courteous. There was nothing. It was a real nice area for being that close to uh, Fort Bragg. Now, on my way back, we had stopped in Bagram before we went to Kandahar, where the rest of the battalion was, and every now and then when you're there, You'll get called out because they will be carrying out um, a, um, a coffin filled with uh, a U.S. soldier. And it happens a lot more than you would like. It was my, my third one, I think. And you stand out there. Sometimes you'll get in a formation and you stand there. As the truck drives through you, and then they, the body gets loaded onto a plane. Well, on my way back, they started calling out like the the roles of who it was. They have a little um, a farewell there, and they had said the name Fox. Well, I said to myself, "Well, man, I know Fox. I know he's deployed right now. I hope he's okay." Then they said his full first, middle, and last name. I'm like, that is the guy that I had trained or I had helped train in my first tour to Afghanistan. And it just, right there, I, I, it was like I would, I had, I'd lost. You know, so it, it doesn't really happen through the times that I've been through the memorials and the services that it it's doesn't really happen that I know the person on a personal level. Well, this time, and yes, I've been out of contact for a while because I had moved battalions, 
but it's still like I I have pictures of the guy. He he would hang out with us. We we did stuff together. I remember we made him do a silly exercise called the Little Man in the Woods or the Space Invaders. You know, we had we had fun times, and then I'm sitting here at Bagram watching them load his body onto a plane, not even knowing that while I was gone, that one of the battalions that I was in before was just hitting so much trouble that they were just losing people. And it kind of really, at that point, during that deployment, opened my eyes to like, all right, this stuff has gotten serious. Not to say it wasn't serious before, but it hit me then and there. It was like, this this is happening. It's not just, you know, I might not have experienced the, the hardest firefights in my life compared to some other people, but it's other people have it harder than I did. And it was hard. Um, it was hard. I had to talk to a few people about it. Um, talk to my wife. Um, talk to others, the chaplains and stuff. And, you know, they helped, they helped get me through it. Anyway. So, we finished the tour. Um, again... Nothing really on our part. We started train, training some of the A&A to do route clearance. We started, um, you know, doing what we could to help the locals around. Um, there had been some uh, terrorist attacks in some, inside the town on the locals to where they would bring them up to the front gate. So overall, uh, just a normal deployment. Uh, for those of you that know what a normal deployment is like, it's there's there's good days and there's there's some rough days, and I would say I had more good days than rough days, but they were there, and I reached out to people I could talk to to try to stabilize the the mood that I was in, or the the place the mindset that I was in. So that's kind of where I lead to in all my episodes is, you know, reach out to somebody. Somebody you know has gone through more than you have. Now, I'm not saying it's a competition. I'm just saying that there are people out there who've gone through what you have or worse and have made it through so they know who or what route you need to take who to talk to or what route you need to take to get out of your dark place. So like I said, I finished the tour. I made some friends, lost contact with others. I had re-enlisted there and I said, I want to get out of Fort Bragg. You know, I've been with the unit for seven years. I want to go. And I found out that Jesse was going to Fort Carson, Colorado in Colorado Springs. And I said, you know what? I want to go there. I don't want to be in the 82nd anymore. I've been here for seven years. I need to go. And even my uh, boss, Sergeant Ingram, at the time was like, you need to get out of Bragg. Only because, not, not, because not, not to say that I didn't deserve to be there anymore. It wasn't one of those. It was, you need to get out and experience the rest of the Army so you know what kind of differences there are. And in the next episode, 
I will try to define what kind of dumpster fire Fort Carson really was. Because it was, I, I wasn't in that unit for a month and I was wishing to go back to Fort Bragg. It, no matter how bad I thought it was, like, oh, we have to run all the time and we're always jumping out of airplanes, but we never jump into combat. You know, it, the training is ridiculous. But I got to Fort <clears throat> Fort Carson and I I got there. It's like, I've made a mistake. Something Something has gone awry. So that, <clears throat> that was my second tour to Afghanistan, uh, down, down Southwest and Farah, good times, great oldies. And I appreciate all the listeners that are out there. And if you have any questions, you know, feel free to call, text, message, uh, whatever you can, you know, Facebook, instant messenger, um, Whatever it is, you know, get out and get in touch with me. If you need something, uh, I do what I can. If you need somebody to talk to, I'm there. Uh, I post on the Facebook page when I publish the podcast. I even put in the description of whatever, you know, platform you listen on. There's the, you can reach out to me. You can reach out to the crisis hotline. Whatever you feel you need to do. But just know that when you don't do it and you start going down a dark path there are people out there that can help and god forbid you do something too rash you you know you'd be missed so we want you to reach out to us so you don't do what others have done you know they say two uh, 22 veterans a day take their own life and most of those were probably, well, not probably, most of those were preventable. So, again, just reach out to somebody. Reach out to me. If you don't want to, that's fine. But do reach out to somebody. Okay? So, I'll leave you with that. And um, next episode, this was supposed to be on Tuesday. I'm going to release it today on Wednesday. Um, I'd run into some technical difficulties. I want to release another one on Saturday, try to get back on the schedule. The next one will be my last tour in Afghanistan, the experiences I had at Fort Carson. And then I'll probably do one more to kind of cover the times that I wasn't deployed, what, you know, what I was doing, um, while back at home station, because some of it was kind of ridiculous, just with the monotony of garrison life. So I wish everybody good luck. Be safe. Reach out and touch somebody. Even if they feel like they don't need it and they you know that they do, let them know. We're here for you. I'm here for you. We're here for each other. And with that, move out. Draw fire. Thank you. <laughs>